Hello, boys and ghouls. And welcome to a revealing episode all about the bygone allure of the VHS horror box cover. Join us for a look at these picturesque packages that caught the eye and wouldn't let it go. Lined up in a row at the video store with a sticker that says horror. In alphabetical order, these rectangular boxes would make their promises with images that suggest and hint at the terror contained on that videotape. Using body parts and bloody fonts, using carnage and cleavage, with monsters and victims and showing some skin. These cardboard containers made us mad to know what lies within. So listen close as the boys and ghouls duo discuss and discover what's in the box. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill the undead. So you ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Look! The third switch! Give my creation! Bye! We're podcasters. Are we? Yes, is it light enough in here for you? Uh, the sun's gonna go down. Oh, yeah. As, well, then as we record. just gets spookier. I can't see the downside. I'll probably have to turn on a lamp. Or light many candles! Hey, Marshall! Hello, cat. Welcome to episode 70, 70 of Boys and Ghouls. Look at me welcoming people to an episode. You always do that. I don't keep it up there, sport. See, now I got nothing. Now I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got in the deep end too fast. Like, my feet are sweating. Like, I feel very <laughs> nervous now. Please take over. All right, well, such is our custom cat. We will now commence with the spooky gab. Some months are leaner than others when it comes to Spooky Gap, Definitely. but we are and we've just, swimming in it this time. Yes, but it, it's one of those where we both experienced it, so as a narrative, it's kind of tough. It's like, hey, Cat, remember when we did that? And you're like, yeah, I do. So, hey, hey, Cat. Hey, Marshall. Remember uh, uh, a couple days ago? Yeah. When it was my birthday? We've probably talked about it on Boys and Ghouls before, but for the last several years, Marshall and I spend the day together on his birthday, and your sister Jen has joined once, and this year, as per tradition, I did not know what we were going to be doing. Not everything we did was spooky. No, we can just talk about the spooky things. Okay. I think the first spooky thing we did is visit a cemetery. Probably the spookiest thing we did all day. Yeah. Which is this time we went to the Forest Lawn Hollywood. Yep. And we visited many a dead celebrity. The centerpiece, I guess, of the trip was Carrie Fisher. Yes. And, and her mom, Debbie Reynolds, are both right. interred next to each other. It was a pretty sobering moment. Because it's one thing to, I mean, not to, there's, you got to respect. Well, um, I was expecting it. Like, I knew where it was. And oh. I, I got directions from websites of, like, here's how to find it. 
Whereas I just sort of sprung it on you. Uh-huh, yeah. You just punched me in the face with, like, an emotional Yeah, thing. just like, bah, here they are. And yeah. you're like, oh, it's so real now. Yeah, especially you pointed out that the dates next to their names. One, one uh, day apart yeah, from each other. One day apart was really, it tells quite a story. But we also visited Buster Keaton and Stan Laurel and several other notable um, Liberace. Ronnie James Dio. That's right. Popularizer of the, I know it has a proper name, but... Uh, devil horn the hand... The devil ha- horn hand the gesture. rock and roll hand gesture, yeah. Which was a gesture that his uh, Italian grandmother would do to him like when he misbehaved. It was mm-hmm. like to sort of calm the demons or just like, Wicked child! A picture of that hand gesture is inscribed on his tomb. Yep. And we visited Sandra D. It was a whole host of ghosts. <laughs> okay. Um, and then, uh, what was the next spooky thing we did? Depends if you consider a tiny train ride spooky. No. Not so much? We can a- talk in that about case, that if we go back and do it during spooky time. It was the house on Haunted Hill. Ah, uh, yes. We went to the Ennis. Frank Lloyd Wright Ennis House. Yeah. Frank Lloyd Wright designed the house. I mean, it's called the Ennis House, and it is in like an Aztec design. Yes. It's a very strange looking, very big house in the Hollywood Hills. Portrayed, among many other things, the House on Haunted Hill in William Castle slash Vincent Price's House on Haunted Hill. As the exterior. Yes. It's a very unique house, and you couldn't mistake it for anything else. The idea that anything films there ever is insane, because there's going to be big trucks full of camera equipment and trailers and stuff like that, and there's just no room for anything up there. It's just, just a winding road, and, you know, we found a parking spot for your car. Yeah, my normal-sized car. Your normal-sized car. I can see why interiors would often be done elsewhere. But interiors, for their it, its uniqueness, continues on the inside. And I know, like, episodes of Buffy have been in there. Yeah, it was um, where Spike and Drusilla and Angel plotted and schemed. Blade Runner took its inspiration from there and then duplicated it for uh, Decker's apartment. Pretty cool. But... Mostly for our purposes on this podcast, it was the house on Haunted Hill, which there were many houses on this hill, but that one uh, is the haunted one, I guess. We went to a marionette show, which I asked my sister, which do you find creeper, marionettes or ventriloquist dummies? And she was like, that's a good one because they are both quite creepy. And while these were positively delightful, we went to the Bob Baker marionette show and saw. Yes, and the theme of the show we saw was the circus, Mm -hmm. and it was all meant to delight. There is an air and quality, and there were children there completely delighted. Completely delighted. But there is inherent in any kind of puppet, and many of which were clowns, an air of creepiness if you're a normal red-blooded human. Though everything was charming, everything also contained within it the DNA building blocks for creepiness. Agreed. It was very cool. It was a highlight of the day. We went to a mural for a deceased cat whose grave we had seen the previous year. That's right. If you're in the LA area, check out the Room 8 mural. Mm -hmm. And then we went to a carnival. We did go to a carnival. Which was terrifying in that I have figured out I no longer like Ferris wheels. Marshall, you and I had that moment together. We will always share that moment. I texted Alec before... We had left the carnival. Turns out I don't like Ferris wheels anymore. Now, in motion, I like them. But when they stop you every few feet to let more people on, and then you're just left to look down. To be clear, for the listener, this is one of the kinds that only seats two people. Yeah. And when it stops, and if you breathe too much forward or backwards, it's going to rock. It's like... 
And the sensation, I told Alec, I was like, I didn't feel sick or anything. It was just immediate like full body anxiety. My lizard brain was like, you could die right now. You got footage of me actually afraid. I went back and watched your Instagram story of the day and you're like, beautiful Burbank, happy birthday, Marshall. And I just look like, <laughs> I just look like I'm thinking real hard. Yeah. I was just kind of trying to quiet my brain. Yeah, it was in, upsetting. In that moment. You and I had to occupy each other by like playing celebrity name games. Yeah. That's how freaked out we both were. Which we didn't succeed at. You gave me two names and I was just like, um, 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 Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Uh, moving on. Uh. And then we started moving and, you know, we, we got some wind in our hair and everything was a-okay. Well, speak for yourself. Okay. I was pretty stressed until we got off the damn thing. Once we got some motion, I was fine. Yeah. Nice views. Nice N views. Nice views. Bank. But let's just say the super slide. Yeah. Brought no anxiety. No. Pure fun. Along with a quote-unquote ride operator, though it's not a ride. Um, but the guy in charge. The, the guy in charge of the slides, as you pointed out to me, was quite charming. He was old, grizzled, missing some teeth, but very friendly. Um, he let us and go good twice. With the kids and let us go twice. Yeah. And he was like, "Go up the stairs slowly so the boy doesn't run." Yeah. That he was exactly that what wasn't to you about me. Out of a that carnival was worker, right? To me about another little boy. To you about another me. little boy. Another little boy besides you. <laughs> yeah. A little boy. Jeez, Alfred, do you have to go around scaring people like that? Why are you wearing that stupid mask? Awesome, huh? I want to check out the latest Friday the 13th sequel. That's an R-rated movie. Yeah, but I'm going to leave the mask on and pass for my older brother at the checkout counter. Neat idea, huh? It'll never work. Come on, wimp. Nice try, Alfred. Why don't you try and find another tape? Marshall. Yes, Kat. You suggested a topic to me. Yeah. I immediately was like, yes, that sounds amazing. And it sounds like a really good companion piece to our VHS episode. And you were like, let's do it next. Yeah. I was like, okay. I, I thought we'd ruminate on it for six months, but you were just like... No, next. No, it seems like fun. And your idea was to title the episode, What's in the Box? Which no one can say without saying it like Brad Pitt in Seven. That's right. Oh, what's in the box? That was where my head went. See what I did there? Um, <laughs> no, I did. <laughs> but no, your idea was to discuss VHS, like box covers, cover art, which we touched on a little in our VHS episode. We mentioned the ones that we still hadn't seen for the most part. Mm -hmm. And ones that affected us as kids and, you know, a little bit. We lightly well, touched on some of that. Full explanation. This is a fairly specific thing, which is you're young, you go to a video store, you see the horror section, and you're too young or whatever your family dynamic is, prevents you from watching certain titles. But it doesn't stop you from just, like, imagining what must be going on in that movie based on its cover art. And I don't know how deeply we've discussed this already, Kat, but the idea of actually returning to that that cover art during multiple trips to the same video store. Oh, absolutely. And just pick it up, and then you look at the back for, like, some further explanation, but it only feeds... Your the curiosity terror. more and, and the terror. The time, yeah, there were certainly box covers that I looked at that scared me beyond belief. And 
weirdly, I can't think of any that scared me so much I didn't watch them because the ones that impacted me the most, I definitely watched. See, by the time I was able to just watch what I wanted instead of just what I happened to catch on TV, I had sort of moved past the curiosity. Mm. And a lot of it was curiosity. One example was Chud mm -hmm. because Chud just had, I guess, a pair of eyes coming out from under a, a lifted up manhole cover. And it said, you know, Chud, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. And the explanation on the back... I don't believe showed you what a chud was, <laughs> but it talked about, you know, like how they're terrorizing New York and they used to be people, but they got too close to toxic waste. And now they're chuds! Woo! <laughs> or the It's Alive series. It's Alive. Which would just be like a baby bassinet. It's Alive. Oh, I came across that. I spent a lot of time internet researching, just looking at lists of which there are many yeah. of people saying here are the most screwed up most effective most scary most crazy vhs box covers and that series came up i don't remember seeing them in the video stores it's alive but what you're yeah. talking about i saw and another one was just research. sort of like a claw mark through a birthday cake right it's like oh what made that and who was giving it a birthday cake <laughs> and that was the director of uh, the stuff he, ah. he did those films you see there's only one thing wrong with the davis baby it's alive. It's alive. I want to just take us back for a brief history lesson, like I do. Not really necessarily about VHS box covers themselves, but I want to talk about movie art and movie posters in general, mm -hmm. simply because I think it can inform us a little bit about what VHS box covers, what the function of them was in their heyday. To entice? I think so, but let's get there. Okay, okay. So, once upon a time, movie advertisements were crudely drawn, block-lettered signs that announced simply the title, producer, and director. It wasn't until 1890... We're going way back. We're going way back. Don't worry, we'll catch up quickly. Okay. When French painter Jules Charest created a lithograph promoting the short film Projection Artistique, Artistic Projections. So, it was, it was promoting a short film that what we think of as the movie poster first appeared. So... Here you go, Marshall. Ah. You want to describe what you're seeing? Blanc et noir. <laughs> it's a pretty woman holding a sign. The sign presumably says the dates and times when you can go see this movie. Does it make you feel anything at all? It's a little sexy. Okay. She certainly seems to be having fun. And the font seems to be a real announcing font. Yeah, it seems exciting, right? So... At the turn of the century, mm -hmm. with illiteracy so widespread, movie one-sheets shifted to the visual, using photography, illustrations, and eventually bright colors to depict a scene straight out of the movie. So it's becoming about, here's a scene from the film. This will be interesting yeah. and make you come see it. By the 1920s, studios were hiring well-known illustrators to experiment with more artistic styles and typographies. The styles typically fell into one of two categories. There were the minimalist prints, often associated with Alfred Hitchcock films, um, where a collection of images, symbols, and fonts represent key elements from the movies. Then there were the more interpretive posters, where artists would forego literal representations of the films for illustrations that captured the movie's biggest moments or its emotive essence. Sure. Posters like Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. I know you can see it in your mind right now, can't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. And A Clockwork Orange, that's a great example, are still considered some of the most recognizable prints of all time, better suited in a gallery than outside a theater. Starting with the blockbusters, Jurassic Park, E.T., Jaws, Indiana Jones series, and if you follow it to my critically acclaimed wall, 
I have Schindler's List in the color purple. So there came a time when, at least for movie posters, which I think is definitely a different thing in a lot of cases than maybe what would be on the cover of VHS, especially like a low-budget horror film, but just for the sake of discussion, Alec has a book of Drew Struzan prints. Yes. Um, so Drew Struzan is an artist that you and I together went to a museum at Forest Lawn Glendale, so in a cemetery. With spooky. Spooky. Where we saw a lot of his stuff on display, and he, he did Back to the Future. He did Indiana Jones films, the, Harry Potter. Yes, several of Harry those. Potter. You knows it when you sees it. That's right. Hook. Yes. They're all very fantastical and yes, lifelike. And, and these are pieces of art that could just stand in a gallery on their own, and they're meant. So I'm glad you brought that up. Well, let me just finish this thought out real quick. Okay, finish your thought. These are prints that could stand in a gallery on their own, and I was reading through this book, the foreword of which was written by Frank Darabont. Mm -hmm. And he was just expressing his appreciation for artists like Drew Struzan and expressing kind of how frustrating it is that nowadays, and essentially what happened is with the advent of DVDs and digital companies being, you know, Extremely. taken over by corporations... Everyone wants to streamline the costs. And when you can do something with Photoshop, they're like, why am I going to pay an artist to come up with something? And that sort of yes. created the death of this kind of an artist. For certain films. Figuratively. For certain films, yes. But what Frank Darabont was saying is the idea behind a Drew Struzan painting is that it's, it's not just going to tell you, like, here's the movie. It's celebrating the film and speaking to our memories and feelings for that film. Even after we've seen it, you can look at a poster yeah. and feel the things you felt. I like going back and being like, movie. oh, that symbol there makes more sense now. And that character is standing over there. And exactly. He does look quite villainous, doesn't he? Yeah. And he talked about kind of the magic of an image like that working just as well as an advertising image as it does a piece of art, which is kind of a magical thing. But I mentioned, you know, these kinds of pieces of art functioning as actual art and they could just really go in a gallery and your eyes lit up. Yeah. Well, the idea of the gallery... What we're largely talking about here are video stores. And the yes. video stores displaying all of this art, functioning as a gallery. Now, you can go on your computer and look at every painting in the Louvre. Yeah. But is it really a substitute for going to the Louvre? And especially when these aren't originals, you know? Mm -hmm. No one's hand-painting every box. Right. These are mass-produced pictures. So why should it matter if you see it on your screen? Or in person. Right. It really shouldn't matter. Is there something tactile about cardboard? Yeah, a little bit. Sure. But having all of them next to each other, juxtaposed. Right. Good word. Thank you. And very important to seeing like one next to the other. And maybe over here is something else, like another genre, mm -hmm. just to kind of contrast what you're up to over in your aisle. Right. When you mentioned the one word you came up with, I was like, what's the function of a, in contrast to the idea of like art in a movie poster that's like drawn by an artist versus like VHS box covers, especially in the 80s, the time period we're focusing on, you use the word entice. And I think that hits the nail on the head. Whereas like a Drew Struzan painting of a poster is meant to evoke emotion. Sometimes a box cover of a trashy horror movie from the 80s does that. But more often than not, it's saying to you, legs, boobies, 
blood. You know, blood. watch this because Hidden it's monsters. sexy girls and deformed things and blood and machetes. It's just saying, rent me, pay your money for me. I'm the craziest thing or I'm the thing that you want. And it's just getting to the heart of the matter more often than not. Yeah. And everything you just mentioned is really why we're here to talk about these things. Because there were certain images that were pushed to the front that were then on display at these video stores, which made young versions of our now adult selves go, what's in the box? Very good. What would happen if I took this home and stuck it in my, at first, non-existent VCR? There was a mall that had a video store in it. So while I would like be allowed to kind of wander the, the mall area while my parents shopped, I would go into the video store with no shopping agenda because I didn't even have a VCR and still look at the boxes. Within its rows was the movie Relentless. And um, there's a lot of uh, box covers between you and me and the people we've talked to and good people at home. I'm sure you got, you're thinking of a couple right now that you later went and watched. That, or, gave, that gave you bug eyes as a kid. Yeah. That you like knocked out of the way, or in my case, was just allowed to grow in my brain. For years and years. Yeah. Because you didn't watch Relentless until for I, this podcast. I right? never did. And I had a few opportunities in the 30 years <laughs> since, since wandering into that video store. More than once. I can remember visiting the Relentless box more than once. Did you pick it up, look at the back, read pick the it back? Up, look at the back, read the back. What did the, do you recall, the synopsis? or were you able to find what that synopsis was now? I'm just curious for means of comparison between what the box promised and what you thought versus what it was. Well, the box cover art, here it is, Ken. It features a stony-eyed yet clearly crazy Judd Nelson. He looks, I might say, relentless. Indeed. Indeed he is. And he is stabbing through from behind a page of the white pages with a telephone directory with everyone's phone number. And the tagline reads, When Buck Taylor comes to call, your number is up. Oh, boy. Hello? I called to see if you were home. I have to kill you. Tonight. He knows your name. He has your address. And you're about to be disconnected. My father said I was sick. Once. Judd Nelson is Buck Taylor, and Buck Taylor is relentless. This was by uh, William Lustig, who directed the original Maniac. Mm -hmm. When I found out, I was like, oh, it's set in L.A. He was more of a, a New York director. He does not let you forget it. It's about like a New York cop come to L.A. to work, and there are like constant comparisons between New York and Los Angeles. Kid, never marry a girl from the West Coast. I don't like girls. Well, don't marry a boy from the West Coast either. The cop's wife is Meg Foster, and she's like, I made you an avocado omelet. And she talks about, like, new agey stuff and, like, mm -hmm. talking to plants. And it's like, oh, because he's in Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I forgot my mantra. According to the back, it describes Judd Nelson's character as being a guy who wanted to be a police officer but got rejected for, like, mental reasons. And his father was a cop. And now, to sort of get back at the system, he is committing these murders to foil and frustrate the police. Now, in my imagination, reading this, I thought, I assumed, and was very surprised when the movie didn't match my assumption 30 years later, 
that he lived with his father, that his father was an active police officer, and the detective on the case of his own murders. Oh, wow. So he'd be coming home and he'd be like, you know, hey, Pop, what's up? He's like, ah, this crazy killer, we can't seem to catch him. And he'd be all happy that he's confounding his father and through his father, the police department. That wouldn't make a bad movie, but that is not what Relentless is. Oh, boy. When I discovered what's in the box. And what's in the box is a lot like what I said, except his father is only seen in flashbacks. We never see him at the police academy getting rejected. He just has the rejection notice and talks aloud to himself about, now what do I do? And then he starts to enact his plan, which the box says are random killings. But then it turns out he's just killing people with the same name as himself. Oh, geez. Right? That's not so random. Not at all. It's actually the opposite of random. Yeah. So the police do come to him to, like, warn him that there's a crazy killer. Cool. And he's like, oh, if he's so crazy, why haven't you caught him yet? What do you think you'll do to him when you catch him? Makes me think about Ted Bundy walking Ann Rule to her car after their nights working the suicide hotline because she was scared and he wanted to make sure she was okay because there was a killer on the loose. And the killer was him? Yeah. My gosh. So weird. Weird's not the word. It's a solid thriller. It was deserving of its three sequels. I like Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson's good. He does not make it to the sequels. Mm. Neither does Robert Loggia, Mm. who plays the cop who's not his father. I found out. I was like, oh, Robert Loggia's in it. He must play the father that I have assumed is an active part in this story. Whoa, Robert Loja. Billy, your mother's right. New Minute made orange tangerine taste great. There is one real good sequence where he's up on the roof of his downtown building, and he's doing some calisthenics, and then he gets on the ledge of the roof and then starts running laps around the ledge of the roof, and you get that like shot where you see the drop, and I'm sure he was wearing a safety wire or something, but you know, this is all pre-CGI. Mm-hmm. Good enough about hiding it that you just saw him and the drop. Wow. And him just running laps around the roof. In a movie that really hasn't been remembered, that was a very effective scene. And I went and rented it on VHS and watched it on VHS. Nice commitment. So there you go. Relentless. It took a while. I got to it. And I discovered... What's in the box? I'm so happy for you. That was 1989. From like 87 was a movie called Slaughterhouse. Now, I got real deep into looking at VHS boxes before this one just sort of like exploded into my brain. (laughs) This was another movie that I never watched, but I would just sort of look at the front of. And it was a drawing. I'm going to look it up right now. Sure. And when you see it, you'll be like, oh, this is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But I'd never seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'd never seen this film either. But I would see its box. And the big... Whoa! Rednecky guy. Whoa! I've never seen this before. He was... That's frightening. He was Buddy. I'm looking at a picture of a hulking gentleman coming through a doorway. He's holding a gigantic, like... Axe? Yeah, he's like, dirty and big, and it looks like he's had his nose broken about 700 times, and he's ready to crush you with his bare hands and chop you to little bits. He's Leatherface without the mask. He doesn't speak, he just makes pig noises. Buddy is going hog wild at the slaughterhouse, says the poster. Slaughterhouse 2, they draw a big 
L over the L in Slaughterhouse to make it really hit Laughter House. Um, oh. I assume that just like many sequels, and particularly even Texas Chainsaw Massacre's sequel, part two for Slaughterhouse got a lot sillier. It was comedic in parts, but the more I watched it, the more I was like, oh, that's the same as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, that's the same also. Talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Also, be aware, the opening credits does follow the process of hog slaughter. Yeah, that's, I'm going to take a hard pass on this one. <laughs> sure. I wasn't crazy about it, but as a guy who enjoys bacon on his burger, I'm like, well... Yeah. I've... You don't want to be a hypocrite. I understand. Yeah. yeah. This, this is how, literally, this is how the sausage is made. Right. And they set it to this sort of, like, really fun old music, like... Oh, jeez. They try to draw you in with that, and if you know what, if you make it through that, then you can make it through the rest of the movie right. just fine. And they even have speeches within the movie about how, like, people don't want to know where their food comes from. They just want to buy it in a package. And I'm like, no kidding, especially yep. after that scene. <laughs> Kat, you went and rewatched mm-hmm. something that you originally watched because you wanted to know... What's in the box? I really wanted to know what was in the box now, as a kid. at the time, there were no real stars to draw you in. Nope. That um, was just the cover. Yeah. Can you recall that cover in your mind's eye? We're talking Did it have... about 1988's Night of the Demons. Night of the Demons. A full moon. A spooky, deserted mansion. Ten kids. <laughs> All they want to do is raise a little hell. Now, as long as they live, they'll wonder what's gotten into them. Night of the Demons. Party till you drop. It had a rather gnarly looking gal in, I want to say, a black dress sort of a witch's dress. And was she holding a shish kebab with human parts, or did I completely make that up? You're thinking of one of the sequels. Uh. Um, there is a sequel where she's got what I think is like a lollipop shaped like a skull. And then I think there's a third sequel where there might be a shish kebab. But in the original poster, it is just a very gnarly looking girl. I had that part. She's very much a demon. Uh. And she's holding an invitation it oh. says, you're invited to my party, Angela. And then I want you to read the tag above that invitation. Angela's having a party. Jason and Freddy are too scared to come, but you'll have a hell of a time. Which I wanted you to read because something you mentioned to me when we were discussing this episode is the trend of movies playing off of Freddy and Jason to yeah. sell To their sell movie. their movies. Yeah. Specifically, there was Sleepaway Camp 2... Where she's got the backpack. Yes, I've got it right here. Yeah, and in the back is a Jason mask and... And a Freddy glove. And a Freddy glove, which both do appear in the movie. And then there's also a cover you sent me called Mikey. Yes, Mikey. It says, remember, Jason and Freddy were kids once too. And it shows a family with like an evil kid. Nobody seemed to be using Michael Myers, but Jason and Freddy. You just mentioned them in conjunction with your product. Yeah. Like, even Jason and Freddy won't come to this party. 
Yep. Where are you going? The party's just begun. Really, for me, it was very interesting because I had probably not watched this movie in 20 years. So, as a kid, I remember seeing that cover and demons, like, this movie felt evil to me, even though now, like, and I watched it a lot of times. I think with, with my brother, which is weird now that I think about, like, you know, some of the stuff that was in the movie, um, sexually, but we were both kids just being like, what yeah. is this? The sexy stuff can be just as out there as someone getting stabbed. Yeah. As, as far as, like, that's oh, not part of my reality. Absolutely. You did remember to invite some cute boys to the party, I hope. Of course I did. And we're gonna scare the shit out of them. This movie is about a group of teenagers who the weird girl decides she's gonna have a party. Yeah. And she invites them on Halloween night to a place called Hull House, which was an old mortuary that's built on an ancient Indian burial ground, you know. They have to break in. Yeah. And they start partying and then they unleash some demons who come out to play for a night and start killing all the kids in really horrific ways. And I gotta say, I remembered beat by beat almost everything about this movie when I was rewatching it. I was like, damn, I must have watched this movie a lot. And I was pleasantly surprised with how good it is. Did you rent it a lot? Yes. Okay, Repeatedly. so it wasn't just you had it on a tape. Nope. You went to the store, looked at everything you could rent, but the box. Yes. J the box drew me in. And also, I think... Just, I don't know what it was because I was very scared by the demon faces when the characters would become demons. And, like, there's also stuff where one of the characters gets his eyes gouged out with some thumbs. And then he looks really scary and he's like, uh, come and be with me. And she's like, what, what's the matter? You don't like your blind date? Like, there's jokes like that. Okay. And his crossed out, like, gouged out eyes really scared me. Do you, do you remember what was on the back? I don't. But okay. there was a lot of imagery from this movie that, like, stuck with me. But what I didn't remember, and what I now see as an adult, is it's a pretty tight, well-written, full-of-jokes movie. Like, it's not yeah. great, but it's definitely not terrible compared to some of the stuff I've seen. And I was like, holy cow, like, I didn't remember this movie being as, like, fun and good as it is. That said, the lipstick scene will still haunt me forever. The lipstick scene, which we've talked about on this podcast once Ugh. before which is i wish i could purge it from my mind it's very cool but and, like and really doesn't fit particularly no, with anything no else in the movie they probably just figured out they could do that. this trick yeah and so they were just like, we gotta find a place for it yeah yeah something i was finding and i'm curious if this one fell into that is scary on the front sexy on the back oh interesting now once i sort of fell into this observation, which uh, Sumo Dan helped me out with, because he's a fellow who didn't grow up with cable, so all nudity viewed on television in his household had to come through the video store. So I went and looked up a couple of, um, just found the boxes for a couple of sexy hammer horror oh. movies. Uh-huh. The Vampire Lovers and Twins of Evil, mm. both of which I knew within the film was uh, plenty of chance to see uh, breasts. And sure enough, the front cover would be like, scary vampire teeth. <laughs> but if you flipped it over to the back, and that's another thing. The fronts would very often be a drawing or painting representation, but the back would be photos. Well, the front of Night of the Demons is a photo. Good night. And the I know, it's very scary. Her teeth are really upsetting. Or let's say the front would be an exaggeration. Sure. And then the back would be like... A still shot from right. what's in the actual so film. The back cover of the VHS of Night of the Demons has some scary and some sexy. 
Okay. So you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. That makes sense. Like you pick it up and you go, oh, this is really scary. Hmm, but not too scary. I think I'll rent it. If I can get past what's on the front. Right. I get to see what's on the back. What is the secret Dwayne is hiding in the basket? What's in the basket? Easter eggs? What's in the basket? Clothes. What's in the basket? My brother. What's in the basket? Open it, if you dare. Basket case. Our next film, which you brought up. I did. Was Basket Case. 1982's Basket Case. And that box covers. Just a basket. And it's kind of like... It's not just a basket. It's got a thing coming out of it. It was also kind of like Chud, like, what's under the manhole cover? What's in the bassinet? What's in the basket? And Cat, this very curiosity of what's in the basket, would lead us to wonder, what's in the box? Look at this. Eyeballs? Claws? That's right, that's right. That ain't just a basket. So there's something in that basket, and that something is frightening. This truly is a movie box cover that mm-hmm. scared me off for 25 years. Suddenly it was 25 years later. I was old. Basket case. This cover, pretty accurate. It's telling you something gruesome and gross. However, one thing that I was surprised by when watching Basket Case is how funny, intentionally funny, yes. it well, is. There's a little camp. There's a, well, um, when I found out it was made by uh, Frank Henenlotter. Mm-hmm. And I had a grand time watching Frankenhooker, yes. which is one of his films. So anything by this guy is going to be a real treat for the senses and just a romp. There are characters quality. named Dr. Cutter and <laughs> Dr. Needleman. Mm. I mean, that if that doesn't tell you what this movie is. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that the like there's some stop motion animation with the creature in this film that's pretty cool for me um yes. and, and there are aspects of it that are genuinely unsettling for sure but it, it still is campy it's another campy like low budget new york filmmaker just sort of making it a little at a time you know there's like the guys walking around with all that money yeah all the cash yeah that was like the movie's budget right just put into cash form for the sake of the film you've also influenced me in oh. that throughout the course of like recording this podcast and spending time with you because you've pointed out to me how often movies can be time capsules for a certain moment in time and a sure. place in time. So I kept thinking about that when this guy's walking down 42nd Street yeah. in 1982. You're seeing a New York and a neighborhood of New York that doesn't exist the same way that it did then. And this is like shot on 16 mil, like probably pretty on the fly. No this extras. Real. If you see them on the street, they were people on the street. Exactly. And I think that's worth watching this movie for, among many other fine qualities. I think it was a really fun movie. And you went right to this when I said, like, let's go back and watch those movies that intrigued us, but we never actually went and saw for whatever reason. And you're like, Basket Case. Also, I watched this with Sumo Dan, for whom Basket Case was a reoccurring rental for him and his siblings. They thought it really? was a blast. Well, those are smart. Um, those guys know how to party. I'm almost positive that the back cover of Basket Case showed like the full-on mm. monster twin. Basket thing. Case Two did. Oh. Okay. Basket Case One and Basket Case Two have identical front covers, but the back of Part Two reveals the monster, mm. whose name was 
Oh, uh, really weird name. Yeah. Like started started with a B. But uh, I think by the it, way, we keep saying the monster. It's this guy's twin. Yeah. That was like on him that got cut off of him when he was twelve. We're, it's really we're, sad. we're really not falling into the B- uh, Bilal or something. The lesson of the film is the name of him by calling him the monster, even though he does kill quite a few people. Jonathan is having a housewarming party. Unfortunately, there will be some surprise guests. <laughs> They have very bad manners. And they have no respect for privacy. Ghoulies. They'll get you in the end. You gave me two films to watch, and I was right there with you with both of them. Basket Case and Ghoulies. And I said, of course, Ghoulies. Because everybody I've talked to within a certain age range, said, well, the ghoulies. We should say this movie came out in 1984. My friend Nick Sweet had a story of, like, his mom was sort of holding his hand as a little boy, and they would, like, approach the video counter. And while they were renting some non-horror film appropriate for his age... Was there something right at eye level? Yeah, on the counter facing out, right at his eye level, was the ghoulie, which is like a gremlin, kind of like a gremlin ripoff, coming out of the toilet. I don't know if there's any cover we've talked about so far that tells more of a story than that is meant to tell. Yeah, and, and mean, has captured a more imagination. Coming out of a toilet, your mind immediately goes to that thing's gonna chew up my butt while I'm sitting on the toilet. Yeah, it's horrifying. What an image! Isn't that good? I, I just saw the poster. I think this is a great example of expectation versus reality because I saw that cover and I never watched it as a kid, and then I watched it a couple weeks ago and I was expecting something very Chud-like, I guess. Coming out of the sewers? As a story, yeah. Yeah. I figured it'd be urban, there'd be a bunch of little green slimy things eating people's butts all over town, which is not what I got. No. No, it it opened up. The the original Ghoulies film, Ghoulies 2 is more what you'd expect based on the poster. Oh, okay. It is far more Ghoulies heavy. Ghoulies being the smallish creatures. Mm Mm-hmm. The first film was just a smorgasbord of all sorts of horrors. Yeah. And it opened up, and my note that I wrote, I was like, I'm expecting this to be like Chud, but it seems like some old, sexy, satanic 60s horror film. Yeah. Like a hammer horror. Like, some of like that. A, there's like a satanic ritual going on, and there's all these creatures, and I'm like, what? But yeah, it's like a story of a Set guy in a mansion. who in, inherits a mansion. He was supposed to be sacrificed as a baby, then he yeah. wasn't. Then there's some kind of Lovecraftian thing where it's like the energy of the house is like drawing him to it. Like possessing him. And among the spells he casts, ghoulies appear. And they are supposed to do his bidding. So while I don't think it was ever a gremlins ripoff, I can't help but wonder if this element of this film wasn't pushed to the front with the success of gremlins. The one piece of like, aha trivia that I read is that... The concept of having a demon rise up from a toilet was only hit upon after Ghoulie's completion, forcing the director to go back and shoot a new sequence to tie in with its marketing campaign. It was so the poster came first. Just part of a montage. Right. So you get the money shot, as it were, in yeah. the film of the Ghoulie coming out of the toilet, but only because they had created this poster and they were like, well, we got to put that in there. Otherwise, people are going to be wondering where the toilet monster is. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I find that so I came for the toilet monster. Yeah. Now, there were no toilet victims until part two. Mm. Part two delivered on the promises 
of the video box cover of part one. I gotta say, I enjoyed this movie. First of all, Charles Band. It's a Charles Band production. Okay. Which he did a lot of schlocky, silly, campy horror films. It makes perfect sense when I saw his name pop up. I was like, oh, of course. Also, Mariska Hargitay is in this movie. And I do want to say in a general sense about Ghoulies that Ghoulies and Night of the Demons are both good examples of, and gosh, I don't know, even Basket Case, of like movies that you can tell are very low budget, but they feel creative in a way that seems purposeful and like they're using their resources. They've managed to get good actors. Yeah. Yeah, it's cheap, but it's fun and it feels more solid. And it's all up there on the screen. Well, whatever their assets were. Right. Made it to the screen. But the real stars of the movies are the ghoulies, puppets controlled with cables. You can't really tell them apart, but there are a lot of them and they're nasty and slammy as ghoulies should be. I mean, it's not like the greatest film ever made. Obviously, it's called Ghoulies. Yeah. But I enjoyed its resourcefulness and its camp quality. The puppets were really fun, too. And I have to recommend you, Kat, watch Ghoulies 2. Okay. Ghoulies 2. More of the promise of the premise. Way more. It's all Ghoulies. None of the rest of the stuff. They find themselves in a down-on-its-luck carnival and wreak havoc within the carnival. And this time, someone actually does sit on the toilet. Oh, I can't wait. A promise made and eventually delivered upon from the box. I discovered yeah. what was in the box. All right, Kat, there's just some boxes I'd like to mention <laughs> through the years. When I talk to people, April Fool's Day was a big one. Are you familiar with that one? I am. And that one would be just like a girl holding a knife and the braid in the back of her hair forms a noose. Mm -hmm. And there's other people in the picture who are sort of like reacting to her, just like, whoa, what's happening here? Even though they can't see her noose hair, presumably, because we're seeing her from behind. Yeah. Yeah. It's not meant to they, be. They see the knife. I think there's a knife yeah, in Yeah, I'm sure they see the knife. And it's just April Fool's Day. April Fool. Welcome to my home and lifestyles of the rich and undeserving. Wrong one. Join eight privileged guests who are just dying to have fun. I finally seen it, and it's kind of like a boy, 80s college aged young people were just ripe to be killed. I don't think anybody liked them. Oh. I keep watching movie after movie. Oh, just you've seen lots of college kids die. Yeah. Mm. And like beforehand, most of them are jerks. Mm -hmm. I think just like so they can be set up to die. Yeah. I guess just to keep the sympathy off of them, like a bunch more jerks. But you know what? There's nothing wrong with putting the sympathy onto them. I point to um, that Friday the 13th with Crispin Glover. Mm. Where I'm watching the night unfold and I'm seeing people couple up and I'm getting invested and I'm like... This guy deserves a little happiness. And then when the slashing starts, I'm like, oh, no, and not get him. Yeah. Both powerful reactions. Both are valid reactions. But in a lot of the movies I've seen for this episode, by the time they meet their fate, it's like, get him. Just take this jerk off the screen. Yeah. But among those characters that are on an island for this party, rather like the Agatha Christie uh, Ten Little Indians story... Where just, you know, everyone's on an island and they get picked off one by one. Thomas F. Wilson. Biff. From Back to the Future. Yep. It's great. I haven't seen him in very much that's not Back to the Future. Right. So that was really, really great. Those movies, it's not reality. Okay, if it was reality, I'd be freaked out myself. Um, 
Rebecca McKendry, she co-hosts the Shockwaves podcast. Yeah. I found an article where she was talking about some of the ones that affected her the most. And there's this movie called Bleeders. Yes, Bleeders. That, and I'm showing Marshall a picture of the cover right now. And she has a picture of herself with the copy that she has. And there's this face of this really messed up looking kind of deformed monster. I guess the monsters cover, are always bleeding or something. I guess. I never watched it. But the cover, it's tactile. It has like a bubble top that contains like red liquid that you can squish around. Yes. And that's something I don't recall seeing that one in the video store. But that came out around the same time, I want to say, as the Jack Frost, not the one with Michael Keaton, where it looks like a regular snowman. It's that sort of reflective, yes. like two images. So one, it looks like a regular snowman. And then you tilt it a little and it's crazy monster snowman. And the other one was the same company. They did like an Uncle Sam character. Mm. And one, he just sort of looks like the traditional Uncle Sam. But in the next one, it's crazy monster Uncle Sam. He's a red-blooded, all-American nightmare. Uncle Sam wants you dead. Um, the two house films. Mm -hmm. Sumo Dan oh, the sent hand me these. with the doorbell? Yeah, the first one is a floating, dismembered, rotting hand I've ringing the doorbell. I've never seen those movies, but I do recall... I don't remember seeing the second one. I'm looking at the second one with you now. I don't recall seeing that one. Looks like you got some kind of alternate universe in there or something. Thanks. The second one has not received a lot of respect over the years. Mm. And I say that because when House 1 came out on DVD, it said, with special feature, House 2. Ooh. It wasn't even like, get two for one. It was like, hey, as a bonus, you can watch the second one. Which, the first House was more scary than funny, but had some funny, quirky bits. And House 2 leans way more into the humor and it has a much more fantastical so it's an evil dead evil dead 2 situation i'd go almost further to army of darkness ah that level of like camp and kind of joy fun isn't house it called two. house 2 the second story isn't that the subtitle of it am that, i making that up no you're absolutely right oh okay yeah i remember hearing that where frightening strikes twice oh and it's it, this time it's the rotted wow. hand holding up two fingers I feel like I've heard people talking about House 2 in the last couple of years. Like, people seem to be rediscovering Maybe. it. Today I put up on our social media a picture from House 2. Mm -hmm. And it got a nice amount of people going like, oh yeah, House 2. Interesting. So it's got that. Yeah. Coming soon. Jolting Tales of Horror. Creep Show. Creep Show? Which I've seen and saw as a kid, yeah, the, the, but that the cover was a huge, like, burned in my brain. That's a like kid. a movie theater with a uh, the creep show creep? It's, it's a box, a ticket box. Yes. Yeah, with the skeleton, you know, covered in tattered rags with tickets. And I also like that it says admission, adults, children. But, yeah. The most that, fun you'll have being scared is yeah, that what it says on it? It does. But that cover always made an impression on me. I wanted to give a shout out to the Frankenstein Unbound cover, which is like an eyeball, but it's different colors and they're all stitched together. Just like Frankenstein's body is, but this one is like his eye. It's just it up a right now. drawing of, a, of an eyeball all stitched together. Ooh, uh-huh, gross. Also Whoa. the Strangeland cover, a movie you enjoy very much. I don't remember anything about it. I know I watched it as a teenager, but I do have it right With, with the mouth sewn shut. Notes. Yeah. Very similar um, I think is... that's Linda Cardellini, by the way, which is kind no. of mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean, I know she's in the movie, and I'm pretty sure that's her on the cover. Why? 
So I do need to rewatch this film. D. Snyder's Strangeland. Also out around the same time is the Mute Witness box. I remember you mentioning that. And scene. that the sewn shut lips spell the word mute. <laughs> I don't know in either case if these things occur in the film or if they're just used to like draw us in. I think it happens in Strangeland, but it's been a while. Um, my turn? Yes, please. Bones. Snoop Dogg's Bones, a very simple cover. I haven't seen it, but I recall as a young person seeing this cover and being like, ooh, that's, that's, I wasn't afraid of it, but it was striking. It's just Snoop Dogg's face in red with yellow eyes, and he just looks kind of creepy. Doggy dog, brother. Doggy dog. Sweet 16. Yes, you sent me that that? one. That's just a naked girl, presumably 16, like on her 16th birthday. Yeah. Skinny dipping. She's up to her waist in water. Her reflection in the water is that of a knife. It's a beautiful cover. In fact, to me, it looks like a book cover. Like, it looks like the cover of a novel I would have read, like a teen novel I would have read. Her arms are crossed across her chest, censoring her breasts. Yep. I can remember which video store that was in. Like, that's how much I looked at this one. Wow. There was Sweet 16 in this blockbuster, and then also there was Visiting Hours. And visiting hours, which I later saw, it's not that great. But it was just a hospital, and all of the lights that were on in this hospital formed a skull. Whoa. Speaking of sex cells, I've never gone back and watched it, but I can tell you the biggest boobs in the video store. Okay. Gator Bait 2. Whoa. Yeah. I don't know what Gator Bait 1 looked like, but the girl in the front of Gator Bait 2, me and my friends will just be like, eh, check it out, man. Gator Bait. Oh, okay. There's some jugs. Look at that. <laughs> They're not as big as I thought they'd be based on your Nearly as big as her hair. That's some 80s hair. They're pretty big boobs, yeah. Um, sure. The butt of the girl in I Spit on Your Grave. You know, oh, the cover that's of that. a great butt. It is a great butt to sell a movie about sexual assault. Yeah. And, and then when they made their remake a few years ago, it's the same pose, but even more of her shorts are missing. Mm-hmm. Or it's an even smaller set of underwear. Which you can say, well, in the ensuing years, underwear has gotten smaller. Or it's just, we need more butt. I feel like the original poster, I mean, we were talking about it because it's so iconic. And as problematic as it is to, or whatever, complicated as it is to use sex to sell sex a movie to about sell. sexual assault, for sure. I wonder if they were just like, hey, you know, this is an iconic poster and like, let's do our version of it. And that maybe it was as simple as that. Not to defend it necessarily, but a movie that I still haven't seen, but... The cover, which scared me a lot. Monkey Shines. Monkey Shines. An experiment in fear. Monkey Shines, I would get mixed up with like a Stephen King novel yes. with a, a monkey with symbols That's on the correct. front. Yes. Now, Monkey Shines is one of those drawings where I think if we were to see a photo from whatever is in the box of Monkey Shines, we'd be far less impressed than a drawing of a grimacing monkey holding a bloody razor blade. I just looked at the tagline, which is a poem, and it's so good I have to read it. Please, please. On the Monkey Shines poster. Once there was a man whose prison was a chair. The man had a monkey. They made the strangest pair. The monkey ruled the man. It climbed inside his head. And now, as fate would have it, one of them is dead. It's probably not the monkey. Nope. Not that monkey. That's really fun. Look how crazy his eyes are. Woo! Now, all we have to do is find one movie that we can both watch. Hey, here's one. Die, scum-sucking pig, die. 
Ray Wilson and Sherman Hemsley in a haunted house, Peg. I went to Odyssey Video, a video store who, when all the blockbusters closed, including one that was right across the street from it, their store sort of got cut in half. It got turned into two stores. But their adult section did not shrink in square footage. It just got pushed forward. So what's left of the non-adult videos are in a much smaller space now. But within this space, there were two copies of Carrie. One, her at the prom smiling with roses is on the cover. But that's what you get. You have to know that something's going to go wrong. The one right next to it, covered in blood and everything behind her is on fire. Wow. And that's what's being used to sell. Spoiler alert. That edition of Carrie. What's in the box? The same movie in both boxes. But one's like a before and another's an after. And whichever one captures your imagination, I guess that's the one you'll take home. Uh, that'll be 349. 349? It says 149. We didn't rewind it. There's a $2 charge for not rewinding. There's no signs here. This is an outrage. What George, you... don't give them any money for that. It'll cost you less to keep it another day, rewind it, and bring it back tomorrow. Don't give them the satisfaction. I'm not giving you the satisfaction. I want to give a honorable mention to what I discovered was a really great poster-turned-box cover, and that is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 box cover. Mm, yeah. After it was pointed out to me that it is mimicking The Breakfast Club. Was your mind just blown? Classic pose. Yes, I was. I went to go see Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2 at a theater in New Jersey, and I was surrounded by the first time by, like, a real concentration of horror fans. My friend Ada, it was her idea. And she's like, let's go to this. And I'd never been around so many horror fans in one place at one time. And the guy running it was really on point. And you need a good person to, like, run these things to, like, make announcements, give away T-shirts. And he was giving away a T-shirt. And he said, okay, our next giveaway is the uh, Texas Chainsaw 2 T-shirt where they're in the breakfast club pose. And everyone laughed. And he's like... No, look it up. And the very next day, I went to a video store and took the two boxes, stuck them side and by you're side. Like, what? All this time, this movie had been out for a while, and I'd been seeing the box in stores for a while, and I never would have guessed it was the Breakfast Club. Pretty cool formation. Yep. So, gold medal. Mind blown. When your heart begins to pound, when your mind begins to go. Keep telling yourself, it's only a movie. Don't do it. Oh, please, don't kill her. No, I can't do it! I won't do it, you can't beat me! Magic. A terrifying love story. Magic. Cat, had you ever seen on the shelves the box for magic? I had not. You sent me a photo of the VHS cover spread out so you can see the front and the back and the spine. On the back, there is a still from the film and a synopsis. And the minute I read that, I sent it along to Matthew and Daniel, and I was like, what is this movie? And I'm so glad that I watched it. You immediately had to know, what's, what's in, in the, the box? box? Came out in 1978, starring Anthony Hopkins and Anne Margaret and Burgess Meredith? Yes. Now, this would have been before home video and... When home video first came out, before Anthony Hopkins was really a star, he was a solid actor, but I think it took Silence of the Lambs to really push him on cover. So if you get a DVD of Magic, it'll have Anthony Hopkins on the cover. Right. But for 
the this earlier does release. Cover, which looks like it came out, it says copyright 1984. So okay. six years after the movie came out, but still, they, you know, they used good the poster. solid seven years pre Silence of the Lambs, yeah. to use your example. So on the cover, on the front, in big white lettering, it says magic. And at the bottom, it says the love that will haunt you forever. And it's a picture, a, a drawing, rendering of the kind of from the top lip of a ventriloquist dummy with big, yeah, bright, just a portion wide, of blue a ventriloquist eyes. Dummy. Yeah, he looks sinister. He looks calculating. And lifeless. And lifeless. And again, he's... the tag is the love that will haunt you forever. So does the guy love his ventriloquist dummy? Who knows? Let's turn to the back to learn more, shall we? Okay. There's a photo of Anne-Margaret and Anthony Hopkins with a dummy between them, and they're both laughing. And margaret has her head thrown back. She's laughing. She's guffawing. Yeah. Now, above the photo, it says, A terrifying love story. And here's the synopsis. Okay. This and is what intrigued me so way, much. I sent you all sorts of pictures of video box covers, but this one hooked you. This one, by far, hooked me. Okay. Because here's the description. Anthony Hopkins stars as a ventriloquist who uses the brash, abusive voice of his dummy to express his twisted desires to Anne Margaret. Actually voiced by Anthony Hopkins. Actually voiced by Anthony Hopkins, yes. Based on William Goldman's best-selling novel. Okay, so it was a novel. No slacker there. He brought us Princess Bride. Magic is a steaming portrait of a love affair between a man who hides in the world of illusion and a beautiful woman desperately trying to recapture lost dreams. Together, they are okay. caught in a bizarre web of events that create pulse-stopping terror from the first frame of the film! Exclamation point! Man, that one is scary. Anyway, I read that synopsis highlighting pulse-stopping terror from the first frame of the film. Not really. No, and, not unless, even at all. Unless bombing on stage is a fear. I guess it just cracked. You stupid sons of bitches. I said, don't you know how hard that was? That's a thousand hours of my life you just saw. It's his life's work to be a magician and yeah. like no one pays attention. And like every side conversation that's going on, the camera just dwells on. Yeah. By the way, Richard Attenborough, who'd later go on to do Gandhi, did this movie. Yeah, so. it feels like a movie. Yeah. But yeah, the nuts and bolts of it are that he bombs on stage, comes back a year later. Three, well, we meet him three years later three and he's a later. raging success. Because of this dummy act he has, his ventriloquist Yeah, act. he still does some magic. Yeah. But for a movie called Magic, not a ton of magic. No. But I guess if it was just called Ventriloquist, it wouldn't have gotten nearly yeah. the attention. So this dummy has a foul mouth. He uses the F word a lot. I was kind of shocked by that. And he's got this kind yeah. of wise guy voice that, yes, as you said, is Anthony Hopkins doing the voice, which is fun. I guess the reason I'm such a great lover is... Um... I want to hear about your sex life, if you don't mind. Tell us all about yours, then. Everybody likes short stories. <laughs> there is, I think, pretty well done kind of misdirect or kind of purposeful muddying of whether this dummy is like actually kind of alive on its own or well, whether he is controlling it the whole time, which I think ultimately is answered in it's him the whole time. There's been enough other projects since then, Night of the Living Dummy, that fantastic Tales from the Crypt with a live dummy where it's natural for us to assume that like the dummy's alive. Which and they and they imply it a couple of times. But okay. ultimately I think they do. But in a purposeful way that I think is meant to represent 
the fact that like this part of his personality is allowing him to behave the way that he does, which is murdering people. Sure. Um, but the way that they film it and show the dummy like hitting someone or whatever, but then like ultimately it's him who was like using the dummy to beat a person to death or stab them or whatever. I think if you watch it, you Marshall's got okay. a funny look on his face. Well, but by that point in the film, any thoughts I had of the dummy actually being alive was no longer with me. I it didn't, was. I didn't think a that. Mental like I didn't. Yes, it, absolutely. I didn't actually believe it later on but i felt like they did a good job artistically okay. of kind of like representing the dummy visually as like being kind of autonomous even though yeah. oh. he wasn't yeah even after the murder there's only two murders but they're both it's, it's a really a movie about saying. tension He's murdering people yeah you hear like moaning and you think it's the victim and then you realize no it's hopkins throwing his voice to the dummy going, oh, my head. But at first you think it's the victim going, yeah. like, why'd you hit me with a dummy? Yeah. But you realize, no, in his sick mind, the dummy would be hurt. So he's yeah. got to go bandage the dummy. Yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. But I really want to talk about the best scene in the movie, which takes place a little before the first murder. Okay. Which is, he's sort of hiding out from his manager who wants to get him a TV show. The pressure's too much for him. He goes and finds his old... His um, manager, Burgess Meredith. His manager, Burgess Meredith. So good in this. He's rekindled something with Anne Margaret, and now he's returned to success. Things are going well, but he's arguing with the dummy, and that's when Burgess Meredith finds him. And he's like, ah, oh, kid, how long have you been this way? Hmm. And he tries to cover up. What do you mean this way? I'm just practicing. Yeah. I'm yeah. practicing. How do you think I get my act together? You don't I think practice? I'm serious. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to ask you to do something. It's a little something anybody ought to be able to do. Now, if you can do it, fine. We'll forget this whole thing. But if you can't, we'll think about getting you to see somebody fast. Is it a deal? Name it. Make fat shut up for five minutes. He says, five minutes? I can do it for five years. He goes, okay. And he just sits there sweating and... Burgess Meredith is so great, and he's playing this sort of, like, he's got to put down a sick dog. Yeah, you can tell he really feels for the guy. Yeah. He's, and he's like, how long How, how long has it been? And Burgess uh, Meredith's like, minute. uh, 45 seconds? And he's like, yeah. hmm. He's like, yeah, this is, uh, this is quite cruel, you know. Do, do you think we'll ever look back on this and laugh? I hope so. I hope so, kid. And, it, like, he doesn't go two and a half minutes. Right. He, he eventually, he's like, ha ha, you think I'm sick in the head. I'm not sick. But two and a half minutes later, he's like, I can't do it. And he just reaches for the dummy. And, and, and the dummy, like, just screams, a, you know. A string of, like, hi, 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 hi. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, sorry, kid. I mean, the next step is to get him help. But the dummy quickly convinces Hopkins the best course of action would be murder. I think if we're going on the metric of, like, how accurate is this box cover in portraying what you're going to see in the movie, I'd say mm-hmm. it gets a pretty bad score because I personally... It's got I a did, dummy. Yeah. It is scary. It's not scary. I mean, there's like... It's tense. A couple of moments. I don't know. Maybe it's just there was too much about it that was completely insane and I never could let go of the fact that, oh my God, I'm watching a movie with Anthony Hopkins who has a ventriloquist dummy who uses the F word a lot 
and he has this crazy voice and he's with Anne Margaret and she seems highly amused by some pretty juvenile behavior on the part of this guy she's into who's an adult man who's using his dummy to talk to her. So like there were a lot of things that took me out of actually feeling tense during parts I was supposed oh. to feel tense at. So I think pulse stopping terror is a gross overstatement. That's true. The thing is, this movie is nice and long. It's like an hour 45. It has a lot of room to breathe. It has a lot of building And anybody creeped moments. out. But there are moments that are creepy. And, by the way, totally recommend it. Like, I'm so glad I watched this movie. I really enjoyed it. It's bonkers, and I can't believe I did not know it existed. But do I think it's terrifying? And what does it say? <laughs> Will the romance haunt you forever? A love that will haunt you forever? Maybe. I'll give them that one. Okay. But a terrifying love story? Okay, there is some murder and violence. But I really have a problem with pulse-stopping terror from the first frame of the film. My pulse did not stop once. And also, <laughs> he uses the voice of his dummy to express his twisted desires. Alright, he just wants to make love to her. I don't think that's that twisted. So I think this His desire to is, murder. has got a real hype game going on. But, True. How about uh, just the cover? You know what? The cover is highlighting this dummy, and I think it could have gone harder on the dummy, like gone heavier on the dummy, if it wanted to really be that kind of a movie. As it is, it feels more like a drama with some thriller aspects versus I could have used a little more dummy to make it a little kookier. Okay. That's just me. But it took itself pretty seriously, which I really appreciate. It, it makes some of the campy stuff, like less campy and especially the way that it ends it's just sad because it's a guy who yeah like, he came so close wants to and, and that's some of the tension for the me. girl it's not all will i go to jail or will i murder this person or oh no look out a lot of it was like i was invested in his relationship like yeah. he could pull it off and yeah. then like another murder i'm like he could still pull it off and by pull it off i mean run away with Anne margaret and yeah. just be happy for five seconds right but uh, he can't let go of this Personality. This crutch this, that he's built for himself. A schism or? In his mind, there was yeah. a split at some point yeah. in that three years when we didn't see him. It's sad. Hey, Fats. Yeah. I've been doing some thinking. Yeah. What would you say if I, uh, if I called the police and told? You ain't being logical. Look, gangrene was taken care of because he was going to have you put away. If you tell the cops, they'll have you put away. Wherever this is ranked, like if you give this like a six, I think people who are genuinely afraid of ventriloquist dummies in any form, even just benignly sitting on a shelf. Yep. Plenty of good shots in there for you to freak yeah. you out. For them, this will go like just number one with a bullet, like up two, three points, whatever your metric is. Yep. Someone who carries with them a distrust of ventriloquist dummies will have a much scarier time with this film. Yep. Maybe their, their pulse will stop a time or two. You could say, Marshall, to sum it up, that I was uh, quite pleased with what I found in the box. In the box! So you ready to check out? Mm. Hey, um, haven't you checked this video out several times before? Mm. Oh, he's one of my favorites. Okay, here's your tapes and your popcorn and your raisinets. Don't forget, Saturday before midnight.
Okay. This one was a good one because it was a tough one. Mm-hmm. And it was a tough one because where do we go with this? Well, we could sit this, here and talk for eight hours and not cover, you know? We're, we're trying to establish and identify and share a feeling. The feeling of what's in the box. The feeling of morbid curiosity. And physically picking it up and turning it over. Turning over this box and looking at it. Now we just scroll through like a feed on Netflix. But yeah. we would pick a physical thing up and sometimes it'd be bumpy. You know, they'd have raised artwork. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. you know, squishy things like bleeders <laughs> or whatever. But more than anything, it was just a physical thing that you could turn over in your hands and hold. And maybe walk around the video store and look at other things. And look at this and look at that. And you were literally judging a book by its cover. A movie by its cover and trying to extrapolate details from whatever they were giving you. And you're being asked to by the people who designed these things. Yeah. Look and, at me. I'm and, rent me. I mean, mostly it would be if you're comparing it to what all it's next to, it would be next to alphabetically whatever came before and after it in the horror section. But take a literal step back and you can see it as part of this larger whole, this larger tapestry. And we're on, you know, in the 1980s, we were on year 60 of horror films there was plenty of representations for all kinds of things that could scare you all just that you would literally walk by and take in all at once and then one or two one a night would call to you yeah and, and uh some of them were playing on fears you already had so mm-hmm. they'd tap into something you were already afraid of like a monster coming out of a basket or under your bed or introduce uh, you to things you didn't intri- know you were afraid of you read my mind yeah create in you a fear of something that you didn't even know to be afraid of because the artwork was so scary speaking of video stores and people judging what to rent at a night i'd like to go out with a tribute to these saints and princes and princesses the real menches of the video store which is when you would have like a group of three or more going to a video store and you're trying to figure out what to get and you try to get a consensus and it's so hard because unlike today where if you don't like what's on Netflix you can just start watching something else you're locked into this video purchase you've made you've done it you've gotten back in the car you've gone home you've gotten in your PJs this is what you're doing now and as you're trying to find a movie that three or more people would all like to watch at the same time. My gosh, it's like trying to herd cats. Then there's like the movie that like two of you want to see, but one of you has already seen it. And then this saint, this walking angel says, but I could watch it again. Oh, yes. Thank you. We've, the deadlock is done. The consensus is finished. We can go home and watch this movie. This angel on earth has said, I can watch Dark Man a second time. That's also my recommendation to you that you will enjoy it. <laughs> I will not watch First Power, which I've never seen and I'm really looking forward to, but that'll wait for another day. Just so, so we you can two, reach a consensus and all enjoy it. I'm sacrificing something so you can gain. Yep. Bless you. Bless all the ones that have been in my life and the lives of others listening and those that have passed. Because it's been a while. It's been it's been <laughs> since we've been stuck in this like scenario. It seems like yesterday, but I was even looking at our blockbuster tonight episode of Boys and Ghouls, where we were reminiscing on. It feels so uh, ancient. It feels so ancient already. It's just a few years ago, and we visited a blockbuster together, and they're all but gone. Yeah. So it's a bygone era already. As a social activity, definitely. Yep. Now there's Netflix and chill. Yeah, and that's Which, fun, and we that's we its make own memories thing. that way. And let us never look down on people. Who go like. 
you don't know what it's like. Yeah, and I don't know what it's like to go to a drive-in every Saturday. That's right. You get what the times give you. But uh, for those of you who experienced it, thanks for joining us on this trip down memory lane. For those of you who never experienced it, maybe this will give you a little uh, empathy for us fogies. Yeah. And if you, <laughs> if, you lived through it. if you did live through it, for goodness sake, write on our Facebook page or tweet at us or comment on our Instagram. Boys and girls um, at Gmail. Yeah. If you want a private. Just let us know if we didn't mention something and you've been wanting to shout at your podcast player this whole time, like, but what about this one? Tell us. I want to hear. And there's plenty out there. There are probably some that I either don't know about um, or both of us don't know about or just forgot about. And we're like, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot about that one. Right, so right. let us know what stuck out to you. It took me like 45 minutes just walking around to be like, slaughterhouse. Oh my God. Like, it had to crack open in some ancient, dusty part of my brain. Yeah. Yeah, people, get in touch with us, because we'd love to know what's going on, or went on with you, or what really tickled your fancy, or if and if you wound up watching the movie, or if it still remains this mystery that, you know what, we went back and, uh, with mixed results, Yeah. uncovered a lot of mysteries for us, and I really recommend it. Just see what it was all about. It's waiting for you. And uh, so, Kat, until next time we uh, reach out to our listeners, any advice? I would say to them, you know, on a rainy night sometime soon, watch a movie you've always meant to watch from Mm -hmm. your days in the video store. Um, But while you're doing that, don't forget to beware the moon. Beware. Beware.